Thank you for having me. Um, I'll tell you just a little bit about myself. I have been in town since 1999. My husband, Mike, teaches Bible at Lipscomb alongside Lee. He, um, he's a Greek professor, and um, we just had one of his classes over for dinner last night, and I'm going to talk about that again in a minute because I misunderstood them many times. Um, kids talk so fast. <laughs> um, we have two children, um, 30 and 28, and I have my first grandson, Baker, who is 10 months old. So, and he's the joy of my life. Um, I worked part-time as an audiologist while my kids were little, and then uh, when they were in high school, um, the owner where I worked retired, and so um, alongside another audiologist and her husband, we bought the practice about 12 years ago, and so we're right up the street, Brentwood Hearing Center, and thank you for having me. I am not a speaker. That's my husband's job, um, but um, Sue was gracious enough to ask me almost three years ago, um, right before COVID, you would called me, I think, January, February, and we'd planned it for maybe March or April, and um, obviously that got canceled, so thanks for having me. Okay, so a little statistics to get us started. Um, about one out of five Americans has a hearing loss, and that's all ages. When it comes to aging, however, um, obviously that is something that we are at a higher risk for as we age. In our mid-60s, that stat goes up to one in three, and in our mid-70s, one out of two. Now, this statistic, when it talks about hearing loss, is not deaf or severe, it can be even mild or moderate. It's considered to be a loss that is disabling to some degree for our communication ability. And that can happen even when the loss is of a mild nature. Men are about twice as likely to have a hearing loss. And I was reading this this morning and thinking, I don't think I have twice as many male patients in my office. So maybe that means that women are willing to do something about it more. I don't know. Um, it is the third most common health disorder above cancer and diabetes. That's a little surprising. Okay, so just a minute about the anatomy. Um, can y'all see this? The biggest one I could find in the office. So just briefly how our hearing works. Um, we all see this part of our ear. It's called the pinna and the shape of it does serve a function. You know, you've seen people probably do this. So that natural funneling effect can trap sound and channel it down into our ear canal. Um, then it hits the eardrum where a vibration starts up, like a drum, and that actually adds to our hearing ability when that's functioning like it should. In this space here, this is called the middle ear. Um, you may have had a child or a grandchild with an ear infection, and that's where fluid can build up when we have an ear infection. And there are also the three smallest bones of the body in that space, and they serve a function as well. They do a kind of a levering action. So all of this part, just the way it works, adds to our hearing ability. And then the sound travels in this snail-shaped organ called the cochlea, where there are tiny thousands of hair cells, not this kind of hair, they're called cilia, and when sound waves go in there, they shear, 
and start an electrical current and send a lot of information up that auditory nerve to the brain, which is where we do our understanding. Okay, so all of this is very important, and there can be breakdowns in one or more of these areas. Um, we had a guy Thursday, I think, call, thought he had had a sudden hearing loss, and it was just earwax. Okay, so he was happy that that's what it was. Many people want that to be the case, but it's usually not. Um, we can have a breakdown here. As I said, fluid. Um, there's a condition called otosclerosis where you can have a hardening of these bones. I call it arthritis of the middle ear. It's a calcification, um, and that sometimes can be medically treatable um, with a titanium um, implant. Hole in the eardrum can be patched. So part of an audiological evaluation is trying to determine the etiology or potential source of your hearing loss. Um, unfortunately, not many hearing losses are medically treatable. But when that is the case, then we refer on to an ENT. Um, only about one out of 20 hearing losses are potentially medically treatable. Most of us will have a loss or change of hearing down in that hearing organ, and we lose some of those cells. The more we lose, the more severe the hearing loss. Um, that change can happen because of genetics. It can happen because of noise exposure, which is often the case for men. It can happen because of a viral attack to that inner ear. Sometimes medicines can be toxic to the ear. So, and sometimes just a combination of factors. In fact, you can have a combination of hearing losses. You can have a change to the organ, and you can also have a change to the middle ear, and that's called a mixed hearing loss. If it's just here, it's called a sensory neural hearing loss. Any questions about any of this? I have a question. Yes, sir. Um, our balance, show us what part of that is our Okay, balance. so one part of our balance system is these canals here. They're called the semicircular canals. That's one of about three or four components. Um, our, our brain talks to our legs and feet. That's an important part of our balance. Um, there's a visual component to our balance, um, but then these canals can get off whack. There are crystals in there that can get in the wrong spot. Um, my dad has Meniere's disease, which is a disease in that inner ear just on one side, and it causes severe dizzy attacks about once every two months. Um, kind of a roaring sound in his ear, and he has permanent hearing loss. Um, so if you know someone that is dealing with balance issues, then it's good to get that assessed. Um, there's a dizzy and balance center at Vanderbilt for people that can't um, get that determined just by their primary care doctor. There's a battery of tests that they put you through that it's not fun, but often they can pinpoint where the uh, weak area is. What component has been affected when a person with hearing aids can hear but not understand? What's the okay, so I don't have an audiogram here. When we test, I'm going to come to that. Okay. When we test hearing, um, we put you in a soundproof booth. And have you ever had a hearing test? Uh, no. No, okay. By the way, we do recommend getting a baseline evaluation in your 50s, 
okay? We do colonoscopies at 45 to 50, but often people will put off getting that first test because they think they have to have made the decision to treat a hearing loss. And often you're just getting a baseline and then we'll say, let's monitor this in two or three years. Um, when we test hearing, we're looking to see how a person is able to hear tones that match up with speech. So different consonants and vowels correlate with the sounds that we're testing when we test somebody's hearing. And then we're looking to see, compared to the normal range, where they fall. Okay? Um, my dad specifically has a hearing loss for high frequencies. So he's missing consonants like k, sh, t, p, s, that help our brains know if I've said thick or tick or sick or pick. There's just a very subtle difference between those words, and it's a consonant. So without his hearing aids, it, it, he's getting those puzzle pieces chopped out of words. Um, there are a lot of core morbidities um, when it comes to hearing loss. And when I say comorbidity, I'm talking about two diseases that are occurring at the same time. So kidney disease, um, heart disease, um, vascular problems, diabetes, often can go hand in hand with hearing loss. You might have read that cognitive decline is highly correlated with um, untreated hearing loss. There are a lot, of, a lot of false advertisements out there, unfortunately. People can sell hearing aids in many forms, um, and there's scare tactics out there. Doesn't mean you're going to get dementia if you don't get a hearing aid. Okay, the correlation is if you are predisposed genetically to have a cognitive decline, and then you develop even a mild hearing loss, and you don't treat it. Well, the symptoms of the cognitive decline show up sooner. So it's, it's a cognitive overload. Your brain is trying to fill in those puzzle pieces and accommodate for the changes in the brain. So is the, is the only way that you treat that through hearing aid? Well, it, we treat the hearing loss. Okay, so it's not treating, if somebody already has dementia, it's not treating the dementia. Um, Although when I have someone come in that has already been diagnosed with some cognitive change, even of a mild degree, it is more important to help that person's hearing. Maybe someone that is not having any problems um, cognitively because they're going to have a harder time filling in the puzzle pieces with their memory centers and with their visual centers because that's already had changes occur. Does that answer that question? Okay. Um, if somebody is falling down a lot, um, that's another um, correlation that it's good for your hearing to <coughs> treat the hearing loss. Well, actually, there's an acceleration of your likelihood of falling if you have an undegree, uh, untreated hearing loss. Okay, so back to your question. There are many kinds of hearing losses out there. Um, I had a guy this past week who came in to show me his cochlear implant. Um, for 20 years, I've been telling him, I've done what I can, okay? He had so much damage to his hearing that um, hearing aids were giving him improved audibility, but he still couldn't understand with that audibility improved. Uh, we do a test to check one's understanding ability when audibility is better. So when someone has a 
80, 90% score versus a 10, 20% score, I need to counsel this patient and their family very differently than I do this patient. Someone who has a poor time or more difficult time understanding, even with appropriately fit hearing aids, they're going to be more dependent on watching your face, um, having people speak slower. Um, I brought a few things that you're welcome to grab if you want to, and one is communication strategies. Um, as a hearing impaired person wearing hearing aids, all I can do is wear them, if I should, and give you my attention, but then there's a lot that family members can do to help that person. In fact, I, I spend a lot of time counseling uh, family members about, you know, I have a father and a father-in-law who both wear hearing aids, and if I'm talking to them from across the room, they say, huh, every time, even with hearing aids on, because they need for me to come get within the distance that I'm the microphone is picking up my voice, and also visual cues um, to supplement. As we age, it gets more and more important to look at people when we're talking to them. And just get, getting rid of distractions. I'm sure you've all been to restaurants where it's difficult to understand. Um, I met two of my high school friends this summer um, at a lake house in Mississippi, and we were all struggling to hear each other. And I said, okay, all my patients would be saying, my hearing aids aren't getting rid of the background noise. There's nothing that can get rid of high noise. Um, people start talking louder and louder to be heard over the din of noise. And so I had them close their eyes, and they had no idea what I was saying. So in a noisy environment especially, we need to be looking at people. Interrupt me if you have any questions. Social impact of untreated hearing loss. How do you think it affects us socially? Isolating. Isolating. Depression. And the more severe the loss, it does cause people to back off more and more from conversations. It can be embarrassing. So it's interesting why people delay in taking um, action when it comes to their hearing loss. Many reasons for that. Um, people can consider it a nuisance, maybe just a mild nuisance they don't need to do anything about. Often they're unaware of it. Um, family members are sometimes more aware of it than the patient because they are knowing that they're repeating themselves more often. Um, we have a lot of people come in because their spouse brought them. Okay. Um, I've learned over the years that that's sometimes a more difficult treatment for that particular person because it does take motivation on the part of the patient when it comes to hearing aids. Um, I've been doing this for a long time and I have seen a lot of changes in technology. They get better and better. Um, they get more discreet. Sometimes people um, put off because they don't want somebody to look at, see it. They think it's a sign of aging. Um, interestingly, people in their 40s and 50s usually don't feel that way. Um, they spend money on their bodies, they go to the gym, they take care of health issues, and they just considered another health issue that they're going to do something about. They're going to keep their brains healthy. My older patients, I'll have people come in with walkers and wheelchairs, and they're like, can you see it? You know. <laughs> your, your untreated hearing loss is much more apparent to people than your hearing aids are. Okay. 
Um, the good news is that technology is better and better. Um, we have all kinds of digital things that we can do. Um, one of my favorite kind of appointments, of course, I don't want somebody's hearing to get worse, but if they come to me for their annual evaluation, and it has gotten worse, and then I can put their hearing aids on the computer and change the prescription, and they leave feeling like they have brand new hearing aids. Um, so that's, that's a nice thing to be able to do. Um, we have different levels of compliance. Um, some people wear their hearing aids better than others, um, or more consistently than others. Um, it's, it's good to wear them on a regular basis. Um, it's good for family members to understand these are what they're doing and this is the dead region, I can't fix that. Um, you can have somebody with glasses and macular degeneration. So those glasses aren't fixing the blind spot, but they're helping where they can. And that's very important for spouses to have a good expectation of the fact that they are AIDS. They are not restoring the hearing. I'm not going to say to you, hurry up, you got your walker, hurry up. <laughs> okay. <laughs> but spouses get frustrated when they miss, when have to have repeat themselves over and over. Don't you have your hearing aids on? I hear that all the time. Um, but they're talking from, yeah. <laughs> they're talking from down the hall or the, TV is louder than them, so you just have to use some accommodating strategies when we're communicating. Yes, sir? Uh, earwax. Yeah. How often uh, should people clean their ears out and start getting rid of the wax? That depends. Um, I have some people that I see a lot for earwax cleanings, um, and we can remove that. We, we remove that as a courtesy for our patients that have bought hearing aids from us. If it's in the outer canal, not too deep, then we can get that out safely. Um, if it's a very deep impaction, then we'll often refer on for a flushing or vacuuming cleaning. Self-cleanings, I mean, it honestly is different from patient to patient. Um, I have some that make no wax. I mean, they just have very dry ear canals. Um, others have very sticky, goopy um, consistency, um, and that is something that can clog up their ear, block sound coming into the ear from the hearing aid, get in the hearing aid, um, and those patients usually need more help from us um, to, to clean their hearing aids for them on a regular basis. Uh, people do better with hearing aids when they do have support, a good support system and, and a team of people that are helping take care of them. So that's not an easy answer. I would say if you're using a Q-tip, that's not a good idea. Um, that ends up jamming it down in there often and making an impaction. Okay. What do you do? What do you? What is your response to um, now? You can buy hearing aids um, over the counter. Yeah. Yeah. yeah uh, that is definitely on my paper to talk about, um, and we can talk about it now if you want to. Um, there have been avenues for. Um, getting hearing aids and bypassing um, a provider for a long, long time. You can buy something used on eBay. Um, you can buy things on the internet and have somebody in California maybe answering some questions on the phone if you can get somebody to help you. There are 
big box stores that you can get your hearing aids at, and sometimes those are good outcomes and sometimes they're not. Um, usually they're not doctors of audiology um, at those facilities, and the products are, are different. Um, but those are avenues that sometimes get people's foot in the door when they wouldn't do it otherwise, and I'm happy for people to be hearing better whatever avenue they take if it's safe. Um, the over-the-counter um, option has been <coughs> coming for about four to five years, and it was passed by the FDA primarily because there is a large untreated population of people with mild hearing losses. They haven't done anything about it, um, and it's to encourage them, well, maybe if they can spend $1,000 rather than four or 5000 and bypass any help. Um, it might get their foot in the door. Um, I was at Walgreens last week, and um, I went inside so, rather than the drive-through to get my prescription because I wanted to see um, what they had behind the counter. And they did behind the shelf had one box of something sitting up there. It was seven ninety-nine or eight ninety-nine, I think. Um, and I asked the guy um, if anybody had bought it, and he said no. But people are asking me about it every day. Um, and I said, well, when they ask you, um, encourage them to get a good evaluation um, to see, one, if they're a candidate for that, because they're only supposed to be for people with mild, maybe mild to moderate losses. Um, and people often think that's the degree of loss they have when it's really not. Um, I have had mm, several tumors that I have diagnosed over the years. Um, for asymmetrical losses that are um, throwing in a red flag medically. And if you, if you don't get that good evaluation, there are health conditions with the ear that are going to go un, undiagnosed. So anybody considering that avenue, I would encourage them to go get a full evaluation before they purchase something like that, rather than doing a self-test. Um, we anticipate... Um, People that try things like that, um, maybe, you know, kind of like the readers that you pulled out, uh, maybe coming to us three or four years later ready for something better. But that's, that's kind of why it's out there. Um, tinnitus, 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 yeah. 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 So I have some patients that come in to see me. Um, audiologists typically say tinnitus, um, but some people do say tinnitus. Um, I have a musician I'm working with right now that that is his primary complaint. Um, for many patients, um, it goes just simply hand in hand with some degree of high frequency hearing loss. Um, most researchers of tinnitus feel that it's there because of the brain's lack of audibility in some region, and then it starts to produce its own phantom sound in response to that missing information. It's an overfiring of neurons that starts it up, and the brain perceives that as ringing, buzzing, roaring. Um, usually, I say 75% of the time, um, patients tell me that when I've treated their high-frequency hearing loss, they don't notice the tinnitus as much. It's like you walk in a room, turn off the light, and I light a candle. Everybody looks at the candle. But if the light's on you may or may not look at that candle. Okay, so improving your audibility in this deficit region doesn't get rid of the tinnitus, but it just suppresses how loud you perceive it. 
Okay. Um, often when you take off the hearing aids to go to bed, you're like, yeah, it's still there, but I hadn't thought about it all day long. And the goal is to get our patients who have tinnitus and hearing loss to the degree that they think about it like the air conditioning. They've learned to assign it as that's not interesting, that's not threatening, that's not important, and it's not going to draw my attention during the day. Any other questions about that? Who do you recommend to get out that deep, uh, impacted... If it's up against the eardrum and we can't get it out, um, I usually, well, sometimes we send people down simply to a walk-in clinic. Um, CVS um, has good nurse practitioners. Um, we have music. It doesn't have to be, um, but sometimes, you know, that's a good route as well. Um, and we have some particular doctors we like for that referral. Yeah. We have musicians come in often that don't have a hearing loss that just want us to take impressions of their ears and they're ordering monitors that they wear on stage um, and sometimes they come in with impactions that we have to send them off for cleanings first so usually they can do a good job technology that I have now um, have have you heard of some of you have hearing aids on connectivity is something that a lot of my patients are wanting these days. Um, others have no interest in it. Um, I have a lot of people come in with flip phones and they <coughs> don't know what an app is. And so that population is not gonna be successful with a self-fitting hearing aid. Um, they, they really need somebody to help them. My, my parents are night and day when it comes to their phones. My mom plays games. She plays Scrabble all over the world. She's sending me pictures. My dad doesn't hardly know what an app is on his phone. He just, and he's, he's a smart guy. He's a chemistry professor, but he just doesn't want to deal with his phone. Um, the connectivity with your phone, I call it the icing on the cake. Um, often the hearing aids are working fine. Sometimes that icing isn't working. Bluetooth can be persnickety, honestly. Um, and we have a lot of phone calls. We have a lot of patients throughout the week that need us to help them troubleshoot issues that are going on with their phone. Might be Apple downloaded a new iOS and it messed everything up. And then we kind of walk them through um, what to do. Um, there are accessories that can go on the television. My father-in-law is coming for Christmas for two weeks. Um, <laughs> and um, I will have to take one of these accessories home because he's, he loves his at home. And I'll put it on my TV, and when he turns on the TV, it goes right in his hearing aids from across the room. So the rest of us can keep the TV turned down to um, a normal level, and um, he can hear it like he wants to. And most models, most hearing aid models, have that option um, for that connectivity. More severe losses are people that want more and more tools in their tool belt. There are also microphones, remote microphones that can be, with, with some technologies, not others, that can be put on a table or clipped on a spouse or even held and pointed at the person talking and make that voice go into their hearing aids. Um, so depending on the need of the patient, an audiologist's job is to help find the technology that is most appropriate for um, every patient we see. I have never found one brand that meets all my needs. Um, so we work with about five or six, and um, I have to say, looking at you, 
many audiologists started out as speech pathologists. Um, I have such high respect for speech pathologists. Um, I, I consider them very long-suffering because um, <laughs> they can work for months with a patient before they see results um, of that patient with aphasia or even articulation issues. I determined very early on I needed a little more immediate results of my efforts, so I went the audiology route. So, uh, but thank you for, uh, for what you did. Any questions? Tell them about George. About what? George. So if you go to school with a hearing loss, hearing aids pick up their best when somebody is speaking within four to six feet from the microphone. So if our preachers take their microphones off their head, or they have a podium microphone and they walk away from it, they're going to get softer and softer, obviously. They have to talk into the microphone. So a child at school might not have a teacher within that ideal distance of their microphones. They might be 15 or 20 feet away. There's a technology that's used across America called FM technology. Children usually have bigger hearing aids. They hand their hearing aid to the teacher at school. They get a boot on it. They have an FM receiver in the boot, and that FM receiver is linked to a transmitter she wears. If she doesn't turn it off, they're going to hear conversations in the hall, her down the bathroom. Um, but it's wonderful technology um, to help overcome distance and improves your hearing when you have poor signal-to-noise ratio environments like restaurants. Um, so I have some patients with milder losses that want to talk about that technology. Sue has um, a transmitter called Roger. Okay. I don't know why they called it Roger, um, but basically I took these receivers out of this transmitter and installed them invisibly in her hearing aids so she doesn't have to have big things booted on her hearing aids. She just has a little transmitter that she can use when she, when she wants to. And it has six microphones? It? it does. So when it's laid on in a table mode, um, then there's six microphones that take turns working as different people around a table talk. So she could put it on a table and then go in the kitchen and eavesdrop on mother's hands. <laughs> <laughs> yes. I have a question. My mom is 88, wears hearing aids. When she takes them out at night, she like begins to hear. I mean, she tells me she hears a comedian, she hears like a band playing, mm -hmm. she hears a TV that's not really in the room next door. Mm -hmm. And I thought, are you crazy? But then they're saying that that's yeah. happens. It's so called an auditory hallucination. Uh -huh. And um, it <laughs> is like a form of tinnitus. Um, it usually, it's not a common occurrence, um, but it's something that I've had patients have that happen when they have a very severe hearing loss and the brain is missing that audibility to the degree that it starts to produce a lot of phantom. I mean, I've had people go upstairs and think somebody's TV was going yeah, and, uh, you know, um, yeah. Nothing new in that field to do with that. Yeah, I mean, I would have her speak with her physician because if it's disrupting her sleep, there might be yeah. things that he needs to talk to her about that. And keep the hearing aids on all day long, for sure. Yes, it does. So when yes, people come to you, 
is the first thing that you do do a, a, a check for hearing loss or mm -hmm. strain? Yeah, so we're going to get a, a good case history and um, obviously look in the ear and then we take you into a, a booth and we find out whether you have a hearing loss at any of the tones that are important for word recognition. Um, and then if someone does have any degree of loss, after we talk about the results, with our new patients, we hold an hour and a half for all of our new patients. Um, it's different from a lot of doctor's offices where you're with your provider for five or ten minutes. Um, most of my, my, my patients can be anywhere from 15 to usually 30 minutes to an hour to an hour and a half. So you're they need more care. Um, there's more things that we need to touch and hold and take care of them at their appointments. But for a first-time patient, if there is any hearing loss, then we give them a demonstration, um, and that's something that we couldn't do before digital technology was available. Um, and we let them see what it's like and experience hearing better. And I think we're winding down. I got the signal. Oh, okay. Yeah. Um, if. Um, there, if I don't know where you guys live, um, if you're in my vicinity and it's something that you decide you want to schedule, we have five doctors of audiology up at Brentwood Hearing Center. Um, there are other good audiologists in town as well. If you live way far out and you want to find somebody closer to you, then I can help guide you there as well. Okay, thank you for having me today. Thank you.